Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Want to turn with me to Luke chapter 9, please? Looking today at verses 23 through 27. We are in we are week number 29 in our series of, on Luke. I'm just going to pray. Lord, we just give thanks for the opportunity you've given us to have a platform in this area. Lord, thank you for all the people here who have sacrificed their time, their energy to serve, to lay their lives down. Lord, we pray that this wouldn't be the end of our service and commitment to people, Lord, but only the beginning. God, we ask that as we look into your word that you would continue to speak to us. We thank you that your word is powerful, that your word reveals Jesus. And we ask that your word would reveal Jesus Christ to us today. We give thanks for all the good things that you've blessed us with, a building, with family, with health, with your word, with friends that sit around us. We say all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. This week I, I looked into, and I don't know if you've heard this before, but how to catch a monkey. Um, you've probably heard this some other, I, I, did, I did a little research to make sure this is true, and I'm about 80% that, sure that this is true, okay? So the way that you go about catching a monkey is that you take like a coconut or something and put some like treats in there, some goodies, some sugar in a coconut. And what happens is, is and you drill a little hole in the coconut, just big enough for a monkey to put his hand into the coconut. But what happens is the monkey puts his hand in the coconut and gets hold of the treats. And what happens is, is he can't get his hand out without letting go of the treats. And so a hunter would come along, and the monkey's just sitting there holding on to the treats, unwilling to let go of the treats. And so the, there's no guns involved, there's no trapping, except for just coming up, taking hold of the monkey, and ter- carrying him away. He's, he's caught. He's unwilling to let go of what was inside of the coconut. And he's caught. And it's like that so often. We look at this today we, as we begin to look at what Jesus begins to tell us about how we are to live our lives. So often we can live our lives in a way that we try to hold on to all that belongs to us. We try to hold on to that which we think is ours. Una- unwilling or unable to let go. And we end up losing everything. And this is the thing that Jesus is talking about today. Let me give you a little context of where we're at here. Disciples have just witnessed Jesus Christ feeding 5,000 hungry men, plus women, plus children, maybe up to 20,000 people, some commentators believe. Jesus fed with a few pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread. It was an unbelievable miracle. One of the only is the only miracle apart from the resurrection that is included in all four gospels. Jesus then, after feeding the five thousand, turns to his disciples and says, "What are people saying about me? You've seen the way that I've lived, and people have witnessed the healings and the miracles and my teaching. What are people saying about me?" And the disciples reply to Jesus, "Well." They're saying that you're a prophet. Maybe you're John the Baptist raised to life again. But in the end, most people's conclusion, including Herod, was that Jesus was nothing more than a prophet. 
powerful prophet, but a prophet, just a prophet. Then Jesus takes the question and turns it on them. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? I know what everyone else is saying about me. I'm aware of what people are talking about, what people are coming to see, and what people are expecting to see. But I want to know, what do you say? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, you are the Christ of God. Right answer. Nails it. It was amazing. That moment, you could just see him just giving high fives to the other disciples. Party breaks out. It's a good time. And then Jesus breaks the news on them, and something that they do not understand at this time, he says, look, here's what you don't understand. That, yes, I am the Messiah. I am the chosen one. I am the Christ. I am God's anointed. But I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to give my life. And then I'm going to be raised to new life again in three days. Now, the disciples had a hard time understanding what it meant to be the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, and equate that with suffering, with, with death, with rejection. I mean, surely this Messiah, the one that has been promised from ages past that we've learned about is little children in our, and when we talk about the Bible and, and what God is going to do on the earth, Surely that Messiah is not going to be rejected by, the, by the, the very people like the Pharisees who know God. Sure enough, that's how it happens. It was hard for them to understand. It was hard for them to understand. It's in the context of this Jesus communicating to his disciples that, look, I am going to be rejected. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be, I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And it's in the context of him saying that that he says what he says in verse 23 on. We have to understand he's just explaining some of his disciples that are just blowing their minds. They don't really understand this. Even after his resurrection, if you remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus has died, rose again, is with his disciples, and they're like, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel right now? They don't even fully get it then. But it's in the context of Jesus saying this that he says this in verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus has just told his disciples about himself begins to communicate something concerning his disciples and the way that they're going to live, the life that they're going to experience. And he says, look, following after me or being my disciple or being my apprentice, another word to say disciple is an apprentice, means this. It means forsaking yourself and purposely taking up your instrument of death daily and following Jesus. 
in following Jesus. Following Jesus, where is Jesus going? Where is Jesus, where is Jesus just told the disciple he was going to go? Where is Jesus headed to? We're following Jesus on this, on this road, but where is he going? What he just talked about was his crucifixion, was his death. He said, you're going to follow me all the way to death, all the way to my crucifixion. You're going to follow me. He's saying, I'm, I'm headed to the cross to lay my life down. Where I am going, I'm going to lay my life down. And if you're going to follow me, you're going to lay your life down too. It's going to cost you your life as well. And when we read this, so often I thought about this week and it really didn't hit me until yesterday. As I began to think about this, I thought, what does this mean for me and my relationship with Jesus? What is, it, what is he saying to me? And it's his this is, he is speaking to us as disciples. But this is something with an others focused. Jesus was going to the cross for the sake of redeeming humanity. Jesus was thinking about other people. He wasn't just thinking primarily of himself. What's in it for me? What do I get out of this? Jesus was concerned with others. Up until this point, Jesus is laying his life down over and over and over again. Reaching out to the broken and the lost and the rejected. Redeeming Pharisees who, who, who hated him. Tax collectors. Talking to people who are lepers who all society has rejected. Unclean women. Jesus is constantly reaching out for other people. Constantly thinking about others. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to lay your life down for others too. It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you everything. So here's what he says. If anyone follow me, three things. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. This isn't about rules and law as if we can somehow sit here and say, well, here's, here's the laws we can all do. It applies to everyone for what it means to deny yourself or what it means to take up your cross daily. This is about a relationship. As we begin to talk about these things and what it looks like for our lives, we have to realize that it's not just specific for one person and it covers everybody. God has put you in a unique place in this world. Unique relationships, unique family, unique community. And God is speaking to each one of you individually. God is calling each one of us to deny self in a different way than what it looks like for other people. So, deny self. Let's look at this together. This is a quote from Philip Ryken. The Greek verb to deny is a strong word of negation that in this case means to forget oneself entirely, to reject any thought of doing what will please ourselves rather than God. Instead of gratifying ourselves or indulging ourselves in all the ways our sinful nature desires, we are called to deny ourselves, rejecting anything and everything that will get in the way of offering ourselves for God's service. As I thought about this week, I thought really this is for me, and I think for a lot of us, this really comes into three different areas in our lives. So number one, our time. Number two, our money. Number three, our life. And I really, you could almost roll the two into life, but I broke down time in terms of relationships Money in terms of giving or spending, and life is in terms of serving. 
So let's look at these. My time. Before I say that, I just want to say this too. Often we, when we think about God, what God's calling us to do, we think of big moments in our life. We think, well, is God calling me to go on a missions trip? Is God calling me to sacrifice everything and really give to, a, to a, an organization or a cause or a church? Or is God calling me to move somewhere and be part of what, what he's doing? We think in terms of big things that happen in our life, and, and rightfully so, we should. But the things I'm talking about today, I want us to, to consider that as God calls us to deny ourselves, it's not just in the big things he's calling us to deny ourselves in. It's the mundane, daily grind of life that he's calling us. This is where we live. We live in the mundane. We live in the minute-to-minute life that we have with all the complexities, with all the problems, with all the people that we have around us. We live this day-to-day. And it's not just in the big things that we're going to talk about today. It's in the mundane. The 99% of our life that we live, we live in the mundane. There's a few things in our life that we look back and say, that was a big deal. That was a big decision. But the rest of life is the mundane. And that's where we live. That's what I want to look at today. My time in terms of relationships. This week, it was a Friday morning. I got up, and I got up a little bit later than I wanted to. And I had a ton of work to do. I had class this weekend, so I had class all day Friday. All Friday night, I mean, all day Saturday. And I was still working on the sermon. And so I get up, and I've got to get out the door as fast as I can. Because what happens is, is if I wait too late, and all the kids are up, and I get up, well, everyone's hungry, people need diaper changed. I'm like, man, I'd rather have Michelle do all that. I know it's wrong, but I just, I got to get out of here. I'm going to be here for like three hours trying to just change diapers and put bread into people's mouths, you know? So I get up, and my son Nick is there. There's snow on the ground. Nick has got one glove on and a hat and like some like snow pants on, and he wants, I want to go outside. I'm like, look, it's like 7.30 in the morning. I got to get out of here. It's like, Daddy, I just I need another glove. And I just, you know, I'm like, well, you don't have any socks and shoes on. I mean, you can't, there's all kinds of stuff that you need. You have no idea, you don't need another glove. You need everything. And, and so I take a quick shower. I'm getting out. Michelle's like, hey, can you just help him get some clothes on so he can go outside and play? I'm like, okay, I can do that. He's got one glove on. So I put the other glove on. And then I'm like, look, you need to go upstairs and get some socks and some shoes and if you can go do that, then I can help you with, you know, getting the rest of the stuff on. He's kind of like, just kind of crying, and I'm like, buddy, I don't have all day. I really, I love you, and I want you to play outside, but I have to go. I got to get to work. And I left. As I left, Nick's kind of just pouting and crying in the, in the kitchen, and he's got his two gloves on, and he wants to play outside. And, and I left with, instead of helping him. And... On the way to work, my five-minute commute, I feel the conviction of the Lord. Why, why did you not help him? It would have taken two minutes to help him put his socks and his boots on. I didn't have time for him. I didn't have time to help. As I thought about it, help him put his, his mittens on, which I don't know how he would have put his socks on anyways with mittens. And I just left. And I called Michelle up when I got to work, and I said, Honey, I'm so sorry. 
I've, and I had to get Nick on the phone and apologize to him. I thought, denying myself means that what is going on in a, a, a three-year-old's life is just as important as going on in my life. Denying myself doesn't mean the big moments of, okay, I'm going to go on the missions trip. It means helping a three-year-old boy who just wants to go outside, put his socks and boots on, and serve my wife, because ultimately I'm sure you had to put the boots and the socks on anyways. But the Lord convicted me. Here I am preaching on this. I've been studying this verse all week. I just felt the Lord just say, it's not right. I was, you sinned against your son, sinned against your wife. You've, you've, you've prioritized your own self. And that's what I mean when we talk about denying ourselves. It's the little things in our life. It's, it's others focused. It's not just, well, I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go to church. It is this, this conscious decision, knowing that this glorifies and honors the Lord, knowing that Jesus Christ himself denied himself. It wasn't like, hey, this is my time on earth here. I'm going to live in the palace, the big house. I'm going to, I'm going to stake out some power and authority for myself. He made himself nothing, became a servant. And now he says, as you follow after me, your life is going to look very similar to mine because you're just walking where I've walked. You're walking in my footsteps. You're going to follow after me? It means denying yourself. I thought about this in two different areas, this, this relationship of time we have. It's reaching out and it's reaching over. Often we have people in our lives at work or at, at home, in our neighborhood, family members even, that we think God has specifically put this person in my life for a reason. God has put me as a believer in Jesus Christ carrying the message of the good news of Jesus Christ with me, the hope of eternal glory in Jesus Christ. And he's put people in our lives specifically, uniquely to us. And often I would pray for my friends that, Lord, please put other Christians in my friends' lives so that they would hear the message of Jesus Christ. And I felt, as I was praying for my friends, I felt God say, but I put you in their life. I've uniquely put you in their life. What are you going to do about this? You're the one who I've put, who I've given opportunity to know them over the course of years in high school and and afterwards in college and, and all these friends that I have. And I think God's put me uniquely in their lives. I don't know if there's any other Christians in their lives, but I know that God's put me in their life. I felt the conviction of the Lord say, look, you're the one who's going to reach out to them. You have the hope of glory. Don't pray for someone else to go do what, what you can, what I've positioned you to do yourself. It's not only reaching out, but it's reaching over. Think about it in the context of our church. We started Mercy Hill two years ago. 50 adults, 15 children. By the grace of God, we've grown. There's more here than when we started. But are we, as God's people, reaching over? We sit next to some of the same people every week. We sit behind or in front of people and, and we can get so caught up in what's going on in my life. Well, I need to talk to this person 
over here that I talk to every single week and we can catch up on Sunday morning. That's great. I think God has uniquely positioned you right where you sit right now around people you probably don't know. I look around this church and I see, all, see a lot of new faces. God has uniquely positioned you right where you sit every single week to reach out, be an encouragement, be the hope of Jesus Christ to people right where you sit. Missions is, is out there in the world and it's with our coworkers and with our neighbors and it's right now where you sit. It's not for later, it's for now. And so I, I want to encourage us as we follow Christ, this means that we deny ourselves what we could do. I'd, I'd like to get a coffee now. I'd like to talk to this person because it's fun and it's easy. Or, God, who have you put around me? What encouragement can I bring? What scripture can I bring to this person? How can, how can, I, how can I find out what's going on in their lives so I can bring the hope of Jesus Christ to them? All right. We looked at my time, now my money. It's my money. I work hard for my money. I do with my money what I want to do. I remember hearing Chuck Pals, and Chuck Pals is coming. He's, he's spoken here at Mercy Hill. I love Chuck Pals. He's like the godfather of, of Living Word Church and kind of our network of churches. He's this guy who loves the Lord, just full of joy. You can just sit down and have this conversation. You can just talk to this guy for hours on end, and it's just, man, God has just done so much in his life. But I remember him telling a story at Living Word, this is years ago, where he went to this ATM to get some money, and the lady in front of him was, was, was there, and she's trying to get money out, and there's nothing coming out. There's only like these receipts coming out. There's no cash coming out. And so she kind of turns around to walk away, and he says, hey, hey, I need some money too. Why don't I get, I got some in there. I'll get a little extra out, and I'll give you some too, and we can both have a little bit of money. So he does that. He goes, he, he gets a little extra out. He says, how much you need? She's like, I just need 20 bucks. Okay. Gets $20 out, gives her 20, keeps a little bit for himself, and he's on his way. And it really struck with me just how, how God in that moment was just able to like, hey, I've got a little bit. You don't have any. I can share with you what I have. And so a little bit after that, there was a single mom in the church at Living Word. And the single mom was having a hard time paying bills and, um, her car kept breaking down and kept breaking down and just there was this bill after bill and she needed money to, to pay for the bills and it just, you know, she, didn't, she needed a car to, to, to work and it just this, this huge problem that she had. And at the time, Michelle and I, we had, we had two cars at the time and I remember one day just thinking about this and the Lord said to me, you've got two and she doesn't have any. Why don't you give her one? That way you can both have one. And at the time, I'm like, well, well, I'll have to run this by my wife. Okay, God, because she's the one that she's gonna be, she's gonna be the one that's probably gonna be suffering a little bit here because I get to work and she's at home, and so she's not gonna be able to get anywhere. So if she says no, then I'll know, like, hey, sorry, Lord, it's not gonna work. Obviously, Michelle needs a car, she's got kids, how's she gonna get around? And I, I go to Michelle, I'm like, hey, I, I feel like the Lord's telling us to give her car away. She's like, great, let's do it. And I'm like, oh, man, it's my way out. And uh, so we did. We gave her a car. And we went, because we didn't have any money to replace that car at the time, we went without a car for about a year. We had one car 
for a year, and Michelle had kids, and she's at home, and I'm trying to get to Living Word, and um, it, it was just, it was, it was a sacrifice. I don't think it was, it was, it wasn't suffering for the gospel. People have made much greater sacrifices, but I think for us, it meant having to, you know, work through how, who, who needs to go where today, who, who's going to drop who off, and getting rides from people, and those kinds of things. It was just, it was more of an inconvenience than anything. And I don't say that so you think, oh, wow, he's so great, and he's gave his car away, and what, general, I don't, that's not the point. It's not the point. The point is this, that everything we have belongs to the Lord. Everything we have. We're only stewards of what God has entrusted us with. As I think about my money, my car, my ride, it really is God's money, God's car. It belongs to him. And when he calls me to give up my car and forfeit whatever money I could have used to sell that car to buy a new car or the convenience of having two cars in a family and being able to get places and not have to worry about begging people for rides and, and all that stuff, I think it only belongs to the Lord. But it, it's what it looks like to deny ourselves. It doesn't belong to me anyways. It belongs to the Lord. When we think about Jesus giving up not just a ride or his time, but he gave up his life on the cross for our sins. He didn't give up a little. He, he wasn't just inconvenienced by the cross. He gave everything. So we, as we think about our money, who it belongs to, it belongs to the Lord. And God's not calling all of us to give away our cars, but he is calling all of us to give. He's calling all of us to give. Now, let's look at my life in terms of service. I think of specific examples in my life of what it means to serve sacrificially, what does it mean to give up our lives for the sake of other people. I can't help but think of my dad. And my dad's probably going to hate me for saying all this stuff about him. But growing up as a little child, from the earliest memories, I remember my dad going to church early to get chairs set up, to make sure the lights are on, to make sure the doors are unlocked, to make sure the heat's on. He was always that guy doing those things that when, we were, when we went to church as a little kid. Always. Now, as I got older, I realized maybe he's doing that so he doesn't have to get all the kids ready on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it's a good one, Dad. I'm, now I do that, so thank you. Um, but I think of a life of service. And even as we've gotten older through the years, He's still one of the first people to show up here on a Sunday morning. Get the lights turned on, doors unlocked, make sure there's coffee in the coffee maker. And it's, just, it's a life of service. It's a life saying, look, I could hit the snooze button a few more times. It'd be nice to sit down and just read the paper before church or have a nice breakfast. But instead, I'm getting up early. There's other people before me that, that are blessed by having coffee in the coffee maker, having the lights turned on, making sure it's, it's comfortable in here, making sure the doors are unlocked, making sure the sidewalk's shoveled. It's a life of service. But I don't only think about my dad in this. I think about the people who serve us faithfully here at this church, people who do the sound, like Brett and Heather, serving faithfully, getting here early, day in and day out, getting here on Thursday nights to do worship practice, setting up for things, taking down, being the last ones to leave on a Sunday morning every single week. 
the life of service. People that do serve on the worship team. It's Sunday morning, and it's, it's, it's Adam and the team, and those guys and girls get practicing throughout the week, preparing for Sunday morning, pouring their hearts out before the Lord to serve us, giving up the opportunities to sit back and enjoy it, but instead working hard to understand the music and, 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 and see where the church is, is at and, and serving us in that. Or about children's ministry. Children's ministry. There's people who've been serving in children's ministry since we've launched. So it's two years of serving in children's ministry. Week in and week out. Serving, serving, serving. The life of service that honors the Lord. It looks like Jesus Christ. I just want to tell one quick story of children's ministry. A few weeks ago, we had a, one, of my, one of those guys that God has called me to, to really reach to. One of those guys I was praying for, Lord, please put a, a Christian in his life. God's like, I put you in his life. One of his kids came to church with Courtney. It's Courtney's uh, nephew. And um, comes to church, goes to children's ministry. I don't know if he's ever been to church before. I don't think so. So he's, I don't know, five years old or something, four or five years old. don't know if he's ever, okay, eight or nine. Give or take a few years, it's all the same. <laughs> Relatively speaking, he's a kid, right? Comes to church, goes to children's ministry, leaves and he gets home and begins to tell his mom what he learned in children's ministry. Now, mom, there are people around us who do not have what we have. And I want to share with them what, I, what we have a lot. And I want to give away the things that we have so that those people who do not have anything can have, have something. And he, he begins to tell his mom he wants what he wants for his birthday so he can give things away. And he says, Mom, his birthday was in a couple of weeks. He says, Mom, for my birthday, I want to go to church. That was what he wanted for his birthday. I think he heard a message that he was able to understand that he's, he's not hearing at home. He's never heard before. And you think his desire for his birthday is to go to church so that he can hear about Jesus. I think that is a testimony. Denying ourselves isn't, isn't, this, isn't a drudgery. It can be hard, but the payoff is unbelievable. That there would be some eight or nine-year-old child who is affected by the word of God. I think that's why we do children's ministry. So an eight, eight or nine-year-old kid can come in and hear about the Lord and go home and tell his parents the good news of Jesus Christ and what it means to follow the Lord. That on his birthday, he would say, I want to go to church. He would bring his grandma who came with him that day that he came so she could hear the message of Jesus Christ. I think it's worth it. It's worth it. All right, so we've talked about my time, my money, my life, which is really God's time, God's money, God's life, but he also goes on to say, let him take up his cross daily and follow after me. Take up a cross daily. We, we say this and we think, well, we, we talk about what's well, my cross to bear and things get hard. 
But when the first century, as Jesus is telling his disciples to take up their cross, this was this would have been horrific. This would have been like us, like we carry, we have you know crosses on necklaces and earrings and other things. It would it would be like one of us putting a golden electric chair on her on a on a necklace or something, or, or you know lethal injection syringes on her ears or something like that. It, was, it would have been people like, what are you talking about? But the Romans had perfected the art of torturous execution. When you were condemned to die, they would take the cross beam of the cross and lay it across your back. And then you would carry that cross beam out to the place of execution. And so when you would see a guy carrying this beam across his back, surrounded by a small band of Roman soldiers, you knew that he was on a one-way trip. There was no coming back for this guy. His life was over. He was done. He was on a journey that he would never return from. And now Jesus uses this description to talk about what it means to follow him. Suffering for the sake of Christ. Being rejected. Being belittled. The loss we experience because we are identified with Jesus. If you've ever been at a place at work where the people around you have kind of bought into the system of what it means to cheat the company. And all of a sudden you're faced with the fact, okay, do I go along with everyone because I don't want to stand up and, and say something? Or do I say, hey, this isn't right. I'm not going to do that. Knowing that it may blow everyone else's cover and everyone else is going to hate you after that point. It's being rejected because you know what? As I follow Christ, I cannot do that. I cannot allow myself to do this. Norval, Norval Glendenheis, an old dead guy, quote from an old dead guy today, says this, he who desires to become his disciple and servant will every day have to be willing to put his own interests and wishes into the background and to accept voluntarily and wholeheartedly the sacrifice and suffering that will have to be endured in his service. The cross is not the ordinary human troubles and sorrows such as disappointments disease, death, poverty, and the like. But the things which have to be suffered, endured, and lost in the service of Christ. Vituperation, which means verbal abuse. I looked it up this week. I didn't know that. Vituperation, persecution, self-sacrifice, suffering, even unto death as a result of true faith in and obedience to him. That's what it means. The cross is the place where we too go to die. Following Christ looks like saying no to the sinful pleasures of the world. Instead of gratifying ourselves, we look to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. And he says, how often do we do this? This is a daily journey we take. This is daily putting that cross beam across our back and marching out to die. This is a daily occurrence. This isn't on a Sunday morning, at the missions trip. This is every single day. Then he says, follow me. Deny yourself. Put the cross beam across your back. And then come after me. Where is he going? He's going to his death. Death to self. Jesus says, this is where I'm going. 
This is where I want you to follow me. As I thought about this this week, I asked myself, would these things characterize my life? If I, if I took this scripture and, and held it up to my life, would I say, yep, this is, you are, this is, John is following after Jesus clearly. It is obvious. Anyone would, would come to this conclusion by looking at his life. It's a hard question to ask. Am I doing these things? Is my life characterized by these things? I want you to think about that. Don't leave that place. Think of, Lord, does this characterize my life? What does my life look like? Now, as Jesus moves on, we're also given a couple of statements he makes in verses 24, 25, and 26. I don't know if I have time to go through all of these. So I'm going to quickly go through some of them. Verse 24. Verse 24 says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And in this we're given a warning and a promise. And what he's saying is, look, out in the world there's this, there's this constant message that bombards us daily that real life is found in anything but Christ. Real life is found in a better house, more cars, better relationships, positive people around us, in food, in women, in whatever it may be. That is where real life is found. But as soon as we get that thing, that relationship, that house, that car, it slowly loses its luster. Slowly just doesn't, it's not quite what it was before. And if you've ever bought a newer used car, and it's kind of nice. You're kind of like, man, this car is awesome. Man, I have a ride. Look at me riding this thing. I am, I am cool. I got this, I used to own this, uh, this Dodge Dakota 4x4 truck with these huge tires, and it, this truck was awesome. I'm like, man, I am so cool in this truck. Everyone else thinks so too. But the thing is, after a few days, a few weeks, it wasn't all that cool anymore. And in order to be cool, I'd see these other trucks riding past, these, these bigger Dodge Ram trucks, and they're, they're a little bit higher up off the ground, and a little, the cab's a little bit longer and a little more beefy, and I'm like, man, this truck is just, I need one of those trucks. That's what I need, and then I'd be really cool. And it's just this endless search. We do this with everything. And it's this endless pursuit of real life. Like if I can just get this one thing, if I can get this relationship, if I can find the right person to marry, then I've arrived. And then that real life begins. If I can just land that job, I can make some more money, I can be, I can, people will respect me. Man, I've arrived. This is where I need to be. But we get that job, we have that relationship, and we realize there's more. I'm not, fully sad. I, there's something more that I want. I want that promotion. I don't make enough money now. I thought I did, but I don't. I need more things. It's a paradox of the kingdom. It's in actually losing your life that you find real life. And I think this isn't any more, I couldn't highlight this more than what it, the times I've been on a missions trip. 
And I think about the times that I've been on a missions trip, and we've done a couple of trips to Mexico, to Tijuana, to build homes. I know nothing about home building. I'm, I don't know how to hold a hammer. I don't know any of those things. But we went to Tijuana, and we built some homes for some people. And we went to Tijuana. We went to this place that, um, where you stay, this like campground kind of area that you're, you're working with a bunch of other um, youth groups are there as well. And the, the bathrooms are just these like porta pies with the bottoms cut out with this huge trough underneath and porta pies lined up and the showers are just bucket showers and it's dusty and it's dirty and you're sleeping on these mats and you're in the middle of the desert and it's 80 degrees one moment and then like two minutes later it's like 40 and you're freezing your butt off at night and you think, man, this is, it'd be much easier sleeping at home. It'd be much easier taking it easy, sitting by a pool somewhere. But when we did that, and you can ask Courtney and Jamie, Paul, and other people who've been on these missions trips with us, man, you come back and you're like, man, that was really living. Man, there is something so real about living for Christ in that context where we give up everything, every comfort imaginable you're giving up. It is dirty, it is dusty, it is hot, and then it's cold, and there's bucket showers, and there's these, these bad smells, and there's this, the list goes on and on and on. You think, man, this would be the worst place in the world that you'd want to spend time at. But as you're there, you, you, you begin to experience something that God talks about. It's in losing our life that we find it. Man, this is really, this is really living. Sacrificial. The promise of life. And often we can be like that monkey with the hand in the jar thinking, I don't want to let go. There's some good stuff in here. If I can just get a little bit, I'll be okay. It's, I don't want to let go. We don't realize we're forfeiting what God has for us. We don't realize that, that God has got so much more for us. God has created us for so much more. Verse 25 now he turns and asks a rhetorical question. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is the very thing that Satan, if you remember back at the temptation in the wilderness with Jesus, what does Satan offer Jesus? He shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, look, if you bow down and worship me, it's all yours. I give it all to you. You can have all of it. You can have everything. You can have the whole world at your feet. Just bow down and worship me. Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man if he gains everything and loses it all and his soul? It's profited nothing. It's profited nothing. And I think about my own life and the way I sell out for so much less. If, it's, if, it, if the whole world isn't worth it, why would I sell out for just a little bit? If the whole world isn't worth giving up your soul for and, and, and following after sin and following after Satan, why would I give up just a little bit would cause me to give up? Think how we gossip about people in order to look better or cheat on our taxes so we can have a little more for ourselves, or watch something on the internet or on TV that we shouldn't be watching for just a little short-lived excitement. It's not worth it. Okay, I need to start wrapping up here. But I want to just end with this. Verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, 
of him will the Son of Man be ashamed of when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Have you ever been ashamed of Christ? Have you ever been ashamed that you're a Christian and you know people are saying bad things at work or your neighbors or your family and you're like, I'm not saying anything, it's a little bit embarrassing and just kind of play it off. Ever been ashamed of Jesus? Who is he speaking to when he says this? He's speaking to his disciples, right? He's speaking. We can read this and think, man, I, that, I've been ashamed. Where's the hope at? I, I've done that. He's talking to his disciples, right? Who, a few chapters later, would do what? Would deny him? Would be ashamed of him? And ultimately turn their back upon him. Remember? What do they do in the garden? They take off. What does Peter do in the, when Jesus is being tried? What does Peter do? I don't even, I don't know him. I have no idea who you're talking about. Even after his resurrection, even after his death, where the disciples are hiding in a locked room somewhere, terrified, ashamed. And I read this and think, the grace of God, the grace and mercy of God, that even when we have denied the Lord, even like the disciples who have denied the Lord, who've turned their back on him, who've ran away from him, who hide in a room terrified of being identified with Jesus, that his grace even reaches out to them and reaches out to us today. There is grace and mercy available to us. There is grace and mercy. There's God's kindness and his love and his compassion and his goodness is being poured out upon us. It is available for us just like it was for the disciples. The very ones who he's speaking to, who he knew would deny him one day, turn their back on him. There is grace available for them. And if we have ever denied Jesus and have been ashamed of him, we need to repent, fall upon our knees, and ask him for grace and his forgiveness. If we have taken our time and our money and our lives and said, look, I'm going to live it my way, I'm going to spend it my way, I'll do things my way, there is grace and mercy available to us. Jesus went to the cross to redeem sinners. He didn't go to the cross to redeem perfect people or people who had it all together or people who always denied themselves or always gave or always, always reached out to everybody. He came for the selfish and the ashamed and the greedy. That's who he came for. That's who he died for. And that's who he's making himself available for today. That each one of us, Christ has made himself available to us through the cross so that's where I'm going before you. You want to follow me? That's where I'm going. I've denied myself because I've loved you. I've concerned about you. And I know you. I've given everything to you. I've not held anything back. I want us just to, as we close, ask you, what is God calling you? you to do this isn't just go do more but i think he's calling us in certain areas of our lives to repent and seek him and ask for grace to change 
Ask for grace to follow him. Lord, I want to follow you, whatever that means. I want to follow after you. You've made your grace available. You've, you have made a way for me to follow after you, even in my weakness, even in my brokenness. And because of that, I can rest in your grace and follow after you all of my days. So Lord Jesus, we, we acknowledge, Lord, we need you. Jesus, we need your grace. God, each one of us, we have been ashamed of you at some point. We have denied you at some point. We have, we have kept what rightfully belongs to you for ourselves. Lord, instead of giving, Lord, we have hoarded. Instead of laying down, we've taken up. And Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, we ask for your kindness to fill us and to bring us back to yourself again. God, we desire to follow you with all of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace, you would give us the strength, you would fill us with your spirit, that we could follow after you all the days of our life, that we would be identified with you not only in your life, but even in your death and in your resurrection. Lord, that we could find real life in you. Jesus, thank you for making a way. Thank you for paying the price. Thank you for dying for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.